millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Hard-edged, hard-nosed, hard to beat. Where are you coming from in this one? Your 100% essential download. Jim White and Simon Jordan. You let this get out of control. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. I'm Jim White, and today myself, Simon and Stuart Pierce cast our eyes over the weekend's controversies. VAR was the inescapable topic of conversation with Liverpool threatening to explore their options after a Luis Diaz goal was wrongly chalked off. Is this the end for the technology in football? Meantime, Michael Beale is out the door at Rangers, but in which direction should the club head next? Plus, after a fantastic win over champions Manchester City, Wolves boss Gary O'Neill revealed to us just how he did it. This is Outspoken with White and Jordan. Stuart Pierce is back in amongst us with a nice little pink theme in that shirt, which we think suits you. Mind you, I'm looking, and you've got the other one on as well. You've got the pink one on as well. Oh, we swapped calls. He's gone for the white collars and cuffs, though, as well. Mm. We swapped calls last night. I said, what are you wearing? He said, a little (laughs) bit of bling as normal. I said, "Okay, I'll dumb it down with a bit of pink, and he's followed suit. (laughs) I didn't get the memo, boys. I would have obliged. I'm so sorry. Uh, Stuart, good to see you, my friend. How are you? You were being asked for on my travels when I was up in Glasgow over the weekend. Ah. Yes. Who was up there? Um, Mr. Sunis. Mr. Sunis was there. It was a tribute to... Stuart, uh, for uh, Walter Smith, uh, of course, two years since uh, Walter passed away. And uh, I know, it doesn't seem that way when McCoy's came into the studio. I remember McCoy sitting there two years ago. Blimey, two years. Where's life go? Mm. Yes, absolutely. Um, And um, a tribute night involved a whole variety of different things, uh, an an extremely poignant video uh, that had been made to honour what Walter achieved at the football club. And as soon as on stage with me, of course... The certain individuals in the audience hanging on his every word uh, because the Sunas, who was at Rangers at that time, mm. it was a very different club when he was there. They were on an upward trajectory. But at the moment, they don't have the problems to seek, Simon. And you know the hardcore support there. Yep. Not happy when they lose. And of course, they lost at home to Aberdeen. Aberdeen so yeah. big questions being asked. By the time I got back last night, Michael Beale gone. Yeah. So nothing really surprises. You didn't think, Simon, if I'm right, that Bill would last that long, did you? You you weren't no. sure about him after saying yes to Rangers, having said no to Wolves, and that he was staying with QPR. Yeah, I qu- and everything I, I, that I went question, with that. I question the basis of the the manner in which he operated. 
um, um, because he was given an opportunity by QPR. He was an assistant manager, given an opportunity. He took the opportunity, and five minutes into his job, he gets a better one. And I don't like that kind of manager. I don't respect it. I think you should get, you, you need to earn the right to be able to make these decisions and at least show a little bit of respect for those that have put you in a position of opportunity. But I do feel that the brief at Rangers, if the brief was... What was the brief, first and foremost? Because ultimately, you know, if they were going to give him a fair amount of money and a fair crack of the whip then you have to suggest that he wasn't given an ordinary amount of time. But if, as I said a couple of weeks ago, if you look at the starting point and you look at where he is a year later and there isn't any material changes, it becomes difficult to argue for him. And I think the toxicity that was beginning to be generated was what did for him alongside, of course, the results, of course, the manner in which they went out of the Champions League. But then again, that's what's going to happen to Scottish sides because they don't have the wherewithal to be able to compete in Europe right now. And then you look at it and say... The league performances, you know, they were, you know, losing to Celtic was always going to be a, oh, a, yeah. a denotion. Yeah. yeah, and then you compound it by Aberdeen. So I think that the guy was already on a sticky wicket, sticky wicket from the get-go because I don't really think the fan base were enthralled by his appointments. No, no, and I'm not entirely sure, Stuart. Mm. They know in what direction to go next. Um, there is a feeling, a, a feeling of unrest, and a feeling that the people at the top at Ibrooks don't really know what to do next. Well, there's a gulf, isn't there, between uh, Rangers and Celtic, and as I was told and explained the situation up in Scotland, you're either first or you're nowhere in Scotland, yeah, you know, and pretty much. going up there as a manager and giving time to rebuild and all this game, that ends very quickly if you get beaten by Celtic, it's as simple as that, so yeah. where they go... I'm not sure manager-wise do managers look at it and say there's too much of a gulf there when you consider that you've got to get above Celtic at some stage. Mm. Um, certain names in the frame, Kevin Muscat, we heard mentioned, Jesse Marsh, Graham Potter. Have they already spoken with Graham Potter? We don't know the answer to that one. Um, Michael Beale, though, obviously didn't have his problems to seek at the end, especially with a 3-1 home defeat to Aberdeen. So he knew, he knew that uh, the Omens weren't good. Listen, I feel I can carry on. It's dis disappointing the way that we've started in the league, for sure. It's up for us to lose three out of the first seven in the league is 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 not acceptable. We all know that. Uh, I think we're much stronger than what we're showing at this moment in time with the players we got out. And listen, we have another game on Thursday and away at St Mirren and the international break gives us a good chance to sit and have a, have a conversation, I think. And uh, it's fair to say that as a team at this moment in time, we have to do a lot better. That's me, my staff. And the players were all culpable after a result like that, which is is below what is expected. Uh, and it was. And he's paid the price with his job. Simon, stability. No doubt at your time at Palace, you, you were you were seeking that because that helps if you can if you can somehow nail that. If you can get the right I mean stability for stability stake. Van Bronckhorst didn't last a year. Um Beale hasn't lasted a year. Somehow they're gonna have to nail it down. Well, I mean, get it right. Van Bronckhurst was, again, the architect of his own down downfall because he was so weak in the interviews that he did in the Champions League and the comments that he made that were, that, you know, blew back on him. The challenge for him is he gets them to a, a Europa Cup final and then within weeks after that, all of a sudden he's under pressure in the Champions League because the expectation is slightly unrealistic. I make the case about expectations and the, and the balance of Scottish football, but you've got to still remember that Rangers are still generating £80 million a year turnover these are not clubs that aren't generating decent money. And when you compare them to clubs in other countries, like the Dutch clubs, they're still on a pound-for-pound -pound basis, not too far either 
behind them or marginally in front of them. So you look at it and say, what is happening in Scottish football? What is happening that Rangers are producing not a particularly good fare, but having an £80 million a year turnover and yet still losing money? What are these players getting paid up there and what are they actually producing? And then you look at the managerial role. And Rangers has been, if you look at the, the managerial appointments they've made over the last four, five, six, seven years, since they've re-emerged, since they've become a Phoenix club, since they were brought back from the from the dead yeah. um, and, 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 you know, given a second opportunity, there hasn't been too many stellar names in managerial terms. I mean, Gerard is a stellar name because he was a player, not a stellar name as a manager. And you look at it and say, what is it that Rangers need to do? Well, they need to get a better manager in the dugout that's capable of leading the football club forward with a far more robust look than the two guys they've had in previously. Gianni Van Bronckhurst, very decent fellow, I'm sure, struck me as very weak, didn't come across. And I know that you shouldn't judge everything through the optics of the media, but it's part and parcel of the modern-day football manager's responsibility to bring those with him that think they're, mm. they're following him over the Alamo. He right? got them into a European final. He did indeed. He did indeed. I understand that. But they lost it. And and, and ultimately, the, the, the starting point for Rangers is that is great, but the default setting is what are we doing in the league? And the other side of things takes care of itself in its own right. And then you go to Michael Beale. And I, I never really understood the appointment in the first place. What, because he did three months at Q- QPR? And because he was assistant manager to... Um, well, he knew Steve... the club inside out because it, it, in his time there sure. with Gerard. So lots of people know the club inside th- out. Yeah, exactly. Steve Kemba, when he managed for me, knew the club inside out. Didn't make him a first team manager. Yeah. You look at the ard- argument of Kevin Muscat. Yeah. What, because Kevin Muscat can go around and kick everybody up in the air for five minutes. And that's what Kevin Muscat's stock and trade is. Well, you know, they, they need, for me, a very, very significant manager in that dugout to be able to help them to bridge this gap between them and Celtic and lead this football club. Do you think they've still got the draw to get a person like that? Well, a very see, significant I don't, individual I don't, I don't, in the I dugout. I don't see why not. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, yeah. I'm not sure that if Celtic are producing the same sort of financial outcomes as Rangers, yet their team is far better on the pitch. And why is that? I suspect because their ballroom is better. Hmm. Because with respect... Come on, look at some of the nonsense we've seen from Rangers. We sat in that boardroom uh, when they played away to Celtic and the, and the silly arguments about which shirt sponsor is going to go on the front of the shirt yeah. because the owners of Rangers exactly. own a car franchise. It's still, it's and that petty. sort of small-mindedness. Yes, exactly. And I felt to myself, this is not a club that's being led from the front. Yeah. This is a club that's running alongside itself and living on former glories. Yeah, and th- and this is it's a considerable period of time uh, since, since uh, this happened, Stuart. But not that long ago, in the 80s, late 80s, this was a club that Souness mm. was attracting the likes of Butcher and Woods and Roberts and Haightley and Wilkins and all the others that went with it. And now you see where they are. And the people who gathered in Glasgow on Saturday before the announcement of Beale's sacking are acutely aware of that. And what they want is those times again now. Now. But they're a long way off from them. Well, they certainly are. So, you know, I remember that era when all the best, well, certainly a, a few of the best English players were going north of the border because they were getting paid a lot more than they were in the Premier League. Yeah. Is, is one of the reasons, reasoning, main reasons behind that. But they're a mile off that at this moment. Yeah. You know, to, to attract top players from the Premier League to go up there, to, to galvanise the club, to push the club forward. I don't know whether it's not just a manager that's needed. It's a bit more than a manager that's needed. It's a management team that's needed. I mean, yes. Simon alluded to the fact maybe more leadership's needed, boardroom level and beyond. You know, yeah, I'm not suggesting yeah. the the board of directors and ownership a change there, but maybe a, a better structure than, than of recent time. Your 100% essential download, outspoken with White and Jordan.
Simon, here's one for you. Who's next for Rangers? Bill's gone. Who's next? Stephen Davidson on an interim basis. Message after message after message. After. There's Steve from South Wales. Ask Simon about Warnock, Neil Warnock. He would instantly, surely change the culture in that dressing room. Is another one. This Stephen. Neil Warnock for me. He would give them a kick of the, up the backside that they need. Uh, there's Don. Warnock, surely. Get him in. He'd do it. Ask Simon, does he have a place in Scotland anyway? Am I right? I would advocate for Neil. I would absolutely, even at the stage that he's at in his career, he's he's 72 years young, he's not 72 years old. And um, Would you push him? Absolutely. If Knowing Neil as I know him, and of course, I, I, you know, my default setting would be say someone like Warnock because I know him. I know that he would kick backside and take numbers up there. I know that he would concentrate their minds. I know that he would get the science, fans on side. Um, but when I say that, it's because if I talk about Andrew Johnson, because oh, he goes about Andrew Johnson. If I talk about Neil Warnock, oh, he's about Neil Warnock. If I defend Steve Bruce, always oh, because you like Steve Bruce. I know that Warnock could go and do that job in his sleep. I know that he could lift them, whether he could overtake Celtic, different matter, but he'd get him closer. In his and sleep, it, it's a bit of a task I'm at the moment. No, I'm telling you, for him, with the look at what look at the jobs that he's done, and look at the jobs, the manner that he's done them, and most of the jobs that he's been in, whether it's for me or whether it's even a, a lower end of the echelons. Huddersfield last season were gone. Done, toast, finished. They, they didn't just avoid relegation, they strolled past it in the end. Mm. And ultimately, you look at the jobs that he's done in other football clubs. This guy could go and straighten Rangers up. But where was it last? Huddersfield in the Championship. And does this give them the stability that they need? Well, they don't need stability, they long. need outcomes. Stability comes as a result of outcomes. You don't just have stability because it means keeping someone in situ for two or three years. Neil can get them into a better place and can build them into a better place and can get them into a, into a situation where the reaction from the fans is not where it is right now. I know I've had it. I've seen it. I've done it. Yeah, sure. You know, I put him in situ at a club that was constantly chasing getting back in the Premier League, had huge ambitions from a difficult chairman, i.e. me. I love his and phrase. I, the, he'd concentrate minds. See, when you talk about a solid set of hands, you're talking about a manager here that, that's got a wealth of experience. He's yeah. of an age. He's seen that. He's been. He's seen. He's done everything. He's a great communicator as well, Stuart, and, from boardroom to the dugout. And people who work with him, like yourself, suggest he's a great motivator. So, you know... Ask the players he's played to play for him. Yeah, so listen, he ticks a lot of boxes, so don't discard that one straight away. This Jamie, what's the first thing that Warnock would do, Simon, if he appeared at Ibrox? What's the first task in hand that he would take on? Um, he would get the players facing the right way. He would get the players into a different perspective. He would bring the marginalised players back in the mix. But he would, you would, you, you might not see an instantaneous reaction because Neil often doesn't get an instantaneous reaction. What happens is, is that. He gets his feet under the door very quickly. He speaks very sensibly. He speaks to the boardroom very sensibly in terms of can relate to the people that he works for. But more importantly, he brings disenfranchised players and players that aren't operating to their highest level closer to that. So what you'd see is you'd see sloppiness and indiscipline and and lack of motivation. If part of those are falling are falling into that category of Rangers, evaporate very quickly, and you'd start to see outcomes. You'd start to see a side that was reflective of what you want. You might not see the technical ability in the side that you'd like to do in an ideal world but what you'd see is a side that was difficult to play against that had a little bit more pride in itself you'd see a better communication with the media you'd see a more robust front you'd see someone that brings a bit of brevity levity but also solidity in the way that they communicate yeah and you'd see a better side everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist fitting into their schedule and of course the cost well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. 
connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. This certainly is a headline this Monday morning, uh, and the controversy rages on. The goal that wasn't a goal in the eyes of the on field uh, referee and in the eyes of VAR as well. What a mix up in this game between Tottenham and Liverpool. Uh, Diaz scores. VAR mistakenly believed that the on field decision had been to award the goal. Incredibly, VAR's Darren England failed to intervene, relayed a message of check complete, and the goal there and then is ruled out. It's an absolute mess. PGMOL said, sorry about this, VAR intervention should have led to the goal standing, but the same VAR failed to intervene. It's a mess and a half. This was Klopp post-match. I, I, in the first moment, I thought it's clear offside, but then it is offside. They tried to think they have a better view at half-time in you. With normal pictures, uh, easy to see, no offside. But I'm pretty sure that whoever did that made that decision um, didn't do it on purpose. It didn't take extremely long to be to come to the conclusion. That's a bit strange, but that somebody else has to has to clarify that. Nobody expects 100% right decisions on field, but I think we all thought when VR comes in, it might make things easier. I don't know why the people in the VR are, are they that much under pressure. Today the decision was made really quick, I would say, for that goal. I know it's really difficult for the referees in a lot of moments. I think nobody should blame the ref for the offside goal. That's absolutely not his fault. So, but for a lot of other things, he's not out of responsibility, I would say. Stuart Pierce is with Simon and myself. Stuart, if memory serves me right, you were one of the first to come out and say we don't really need VAR when it was introduced. Yeah, from the offset, most people were turning around and it was a massive clamour with fans, with managers, with everything. We need VAR to clear the game up. And they were throwing out the fact, multi-million pound decisions and all this. I, I, I see the game as the beautiful game, not a multi-million pound decision on one way or the other. And I, I was always happy as an individual to say, let the referee referee the game. If he gets some right, fine. If he gets some wrong. Now, 
we're a couple of years down the line on this at the moment. And if someone said to me tomorrow, would I scrap VAR? The answer would be no, I wouldn't. I think more education probably of all of us in the game. I think players, coaches or managers should be sat at Stockley Park alongside a referee to make these decisions. I've said that from the offset that I think that should be the case. Um, And you can't lose track of the fact that VAR has cleared up a multitude of wrong decisions. Yes, it's got many more right than it's got wrong. 100%. We, we, We know that. And I've got to say, Klopp was very, very balanced with his statement. Maybe he got coached beforehand, potentially, when you go out and stand in front of the camera, because... What he was thinking in his head and his heart might yeah. be slightly different yeah. to exactly yeah, what he delivered Yeah, but look at what Liverpool are mouth. saying now, though, Stuart. And is this the tipping point? Is this the straw that is going to break the camel's back? Um, the language that Liverpool use, Simon, I wonder in their statement, I wonder if this is the moment. Because in their statement last night, Liverpool calling for escalation mm-hmm. and resolution following the decision, which undermines sporting integrity. So what are they calling for? God only knows. Escalation, resolution. Someone's made a mistake. And 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 uh, irony of it is, if you took VAR out, that goal would have been disallowed anyway. So um, it's an interesting one because the level of mistake that was made on Saturday was rather ludicrous, wasn't it? I mean, no one wants to defend it. No one just because I've been in the corner of suggesting there needs to be a culture of better respect towards referees. Because I was in the conversation last week where we had Mark Halsey talking about Saudi Arabia pinching our referees and making a case that we need to perhaps professionalise the referees more if it, re- if it means greater remuneration or better facilities all of these should be priced into the development of referees and make it a more valuable profession because clearly we haven't got a good enough set of referees we talked about that last week with Mark Halsey where he named two referees Anthony Taylor and Michael Oliver that were the two referees that he would say would stand out we should have a, a litany of standout referees no one can defend the, the decision making process on Saturday I do believe in, and I do believe that the characterization of VAR from the get-go has been flawed. Ange Postacoglu addressed it in his post-match press conference, and people said, well, of course he would, because he's been a beneficiary of it. Yeah. But the point of this is, is that he said nobody really that's sensible thought that VAR was going to get right 100% of the time, because VAR still requires people to interact with it. So we've got a p- situation here where VAR now is the reasons why bad decisions are being made. VAR is not the reasons why bad decisions are being made. Yeah. People making bad decisions well, are the reasons right. why bad decisions are being this made. This wasn't and about technology, it was about communication correct. that didn't work. So it's not a VAR conversation, yeah. it's a competency conversation about why why an assistant ref, a VAR official doesn't even intervene because there'd even be a... Look, they, I think they know they made a mistake and they should have intervened. They should not just intervened in terms of... of, 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 of overruling the decision that was on field on off, off, offside, but when it was when the protocol follows through and the assistant digital referee sees it, the game's kicked off, they should have had the balls to step in and go, actually, totally actually, actually, we need to pull that back and say, and I guarantee that yeah. thought process would have gone through their minds. And I guarantee they didn't have the, cow- I think, the courage to I do think it. Escalation I would much- sure means either replay the game or we have a total rethink about VAR. I think the only time to do that is probably at the end of a football season, to be honest with you, and get the clubs together and do that. You cannot do that after one incident. I'll tell you what, if if Tottenham, Liverpool would have gone without an incident, I was at the Villa game on Saturday and there was two decisions that led to goals. One was an offside that I, for the life of me, can't see why it wasn't ruled as offside. It looked to me as though Ollie Watkins' second goal, a player's right in the line of the goalkeeper. And another one was a foul in a build-up to to one of their goals as well. And I'm thinking, 
how have they stood? I just couldn't understand no one's, it. No, no one's going to take VAR away. So let's take some of the hyperbole out of it. Right? Hearing that Arsenal Invincible Martin Keown is suggesting the game should be replayed. Good for Martin, right? But most of us live in the real world. Well, right? no, but he but won't be the only it's, one. It's not going to be replayed. It's because, not, no. Because the situation is this, right? If you take away VAR, that goal would have still been disallowed. Mm. So the argument would now be raging about not VAR, about the competency of the referee. The issue that we have is that in high-profile moments, they're shooting themselves in the foot by making basic errors that Howard has got to get hold of. He's got to get hold of the coach. I guarantee in that Stockley Park, someone knew that decision was wrong and they didn't want to break protocol because they were more concerned about the ramifications of breaking protocol. What, you think somebody in the VR truck I'm willing to wager I'm willing to wage you someone went, hang on a second, that's not right. We've made a mistake. The game kicks off, and rather than say game's kicked off, and the protocol is once the game's kicked off, you have to stay with it. Someone potentially might have had to break protocol and turn around and say, no, 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 in the interests of a better outcome, I'm prepared to go again. And the culture of fear and the culture yeah, of... But, but of, what's that going to look like, though, Simon? If somebody in a VAR would, truck which, says, which, uh, which, which, listen, which, everyone, which would you rather that's have? a mess-up, that's a balls-up. We've got to the, get, get the referee to stop everybody, the game everybody now, in and we're going to go back. Can lived, you imagine the Everybody in the world would have lived with that. Besides what? Tottenham, everyone in the world would have gone. Hang on a second, everyone, everyone, clear evidence. They knew it was wrong. In terms of people watching, I'm watching it. You're watching. So what? It. Tottenham against Liverpool. It's nil nil. The game's going on. Referee blows up. Actually, guys, that decision moments ago, we got that wrong. It's a goal. It's one nil Liverpool. The process. What is the? What? What do you think the okay, reaction well, will be like? Let me that? ask you the question. The process was clearly flawed. The process broke down. Human error intervened. So which is the worst? Breaking protocol and saying we've kicked off quickly. Hang on, stop the game. Hang on, I need to intervene. Or allowing a process which is clearly, evidently, and wouldn't have taken long to work out was flawed. So I'm not talking about ten minutes later. I'm talking about within a minute. Yeah, I'm but we're debating which is the least Jim, embarrassing Jim, moment. Well, I, I'm mistakes? astounded that you're even turning round and saying he's process of what should happen and it, this is how it should happen you look the game restarts Stockley Park say hang on the decision that Jeez, we made wrong, yeah. we've got it wrong contact the officials tell them to stop the game and give the goal that's what should happen absolutely you, two wrongs do not make a right absolutely right. what is the reaction inside the stadium when what's you do the that? reaction this morning well, so what so you've got to get. You've got to get. It sounds too obvious to People say make mistakes, they've got Jim. to get the decision right there well, and but, then but, but we, end of we all know that Jim but what you're asking for is the mischaracterization that they're going to get it right 100% of the time. They're going to make mistakes like everybody does in every walk of life. You honestly think a minute ago there was a decision. We've just been informed via the VAR truck at Stockley Park. That was wrong. It's actually 1-0 no, Liverpool. Absolutely, Jim. Yeah. If that's what it takes. If you're if you're sitting here now saying what was what should the resolution have been, right? The resolution should have been got the decision right in the first place. If that doesn't happen, what's the fallback position? Okay, if something as glaring as this, because no one can excuse it, the competency of the the individual is in question here. The diligence, the paying attention to what's going on in front of him, Just all the bit. explanations that will come out yeah. from the PGMOL in the ensuing days, they've come out very quickly and gone significant human error. Right? Liverpool are, are ramping up the rhetoric. They're going to get nowhere with it. No one's going to take VAR back. No one's going to strip it down. We're not going to be the only league in European well, football. Well, they haven't said this statement for fun. Liverpool I'm, have an intention. There's a clear I'm, I'm intention sure, I'm, behind the statement. I'm sure they haven't, but that's irrelevant because ultimately escalation and resolution. F fine, what, you know, escalation and resolution. Okay, escalating it to whom and to achieve what? The resolution is the game's been played. The outcome has been determined. That's the end of the discussion. Do, Human error comes into is it, it. Is so it. So if that referee, if that, hang on, if that referee didn't have VAR, that goal would have still been disallowed. 
So which part of it are you going to take down now? You can take the referee, on-field referee off the bleeding pitch as well now. Uh, uh, they a, have all failed. On a de- the on, whole on, failed. On a serious note, is it your belief, Simon, this morning that within the PGMOL this morning, there is a feeling that someone stayed deliberately silent in that no, truck that's when they the, should no, have shouted? No, 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 you're missing my point. The protocol of the current rule mechanism is, is once the game's kicked off, you they can't. have to stay with it. Someone had to be prepared to break protocol in the better interest of the game. That's what I'm saying. And, and then hang and on, show up. and then deal. That's not staying silent. That's not someone saying silent. That's someone obeying the rules. Someone had to have real conviction, real conviction to say, "I'm prepared to take the wrath of working for the PGMOL and break protocol and live with the consequences of that in the better interest of the game." Uh, and I bet they'd have been supported by Webb. I bet they've been supported by Webb. I admire somebody to stick their neck up and say, "I got that wrong. Stop the game now." And give leadership, the goal. and there's not enough exactly. Of it. Otherwise, what do you do? Stick your head in but the it's sand. It's never been done before. Look at the state of the VAR, and someone needed before. to done it. Has anybody made? Has any? Have we ever seen a VAR decision quite like this one, where the guy's got the guys looking at the wrong pitch? He might as well be. He might as well have been sitting to Mike Dean having a chat with Mike Dean. Not to be too facetious about what Mike Dean said, but they might as well have been reading the Sporting Post of Harry Redknapp. They weren't watching the game. <laughs> yeah, but Simon, imagine the moment. Tottenham are on the attack. And the referee blows. <laughs> the play stops. And an announcement is made. It's 1-0 Liverpool. So what? The protocol is flawed. When you've got a situation oh, like this, where it's so evidently wrong, yeah. and people saying, stop, keep saying VAR wasn't there. But what we're doing is saying, OK, let's look at the error. VAR is the problem. Look, the on-field decision was bad. The VAR was bad. The whole thing was bad. So the bottom line was, if, we, if we're saying, if, the, if this argument is centred in, get rid of VAR, we still would have had a disallowed goal. Do you think and what you'd morning, be doing now is managers screaming about the competency of do, referees. Do you think this morning, Simon, out there, out there, it's chairman to chairman on the phone. We need to think about this bloody No. VAR. We've got to get a vote going. No. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. We'd be talking... I think if there's anything going on, we'd be looking at the competency of referees and saying, why are you making these mistakes? This is not technology. It's got bugger all to do with technology it's got everything to do with the competency of the referees work out what the problem is what we're going to do now advocate for getting rid of referees full stop because the referees on the pitch and off the pitch failed in this instance like football managers do like players do like pundits do like we all do we fail at certain times and everyone else seems to get forbearance except the referees you do understand that they do get a high in the 90s percentage of their decisions correct absolutely so we're prepared to turn around at this stage and say there was one or two glaring problems with some of your decisions yeah. throw the lot out baby out with a bar for it'll yeah. be carnage your 100% essential download outspoken with white and jordan liverpool simon in the meantime throwing in words like escalation and resolution. What does that mean? Nothing. Calling for escalation and resolution. What are they doing here? Are they stoking the fire a bit? Um, I think a little bit. I don't quite know what they think they're going to achieve by it. You've got the, the, the irony of it is you've got a manager behaving incredibly rationally after a game for the first time, I suspect, when the situation has gone against his liking and acting in a very balanced... I was very impressed with Klopp. thought he came across in a, in a, in a very, very erudite way, a very fair and balanced way. And then you've got um, someone at Liverpool thinking... Escalation and resolution. What the hell does that mean? What are you escalating it to and whom are you escalating it to? What are you doing? Are you alleging corruption? What are you alleging here? Because someone's made a mistake. You can't escalate mistakes. People make them. 
It's human nature. It goes with the territory. Would the you resolution... not put out a statement like that back in the day when you were at the top no, of the house at Palace? I would, I would put out a statement saying... Get what I'm thinking. No, I would put, I would put, I would put out a statement saying what an appallingly bad decision. I had one. Exactly similar. Freddie Sears scores a goal away to Bristol City. It's the back of the goal. It's the back of the net. Bounces off the advertising uh, hoarding at the back. Gets given as a goal kick. Yeah, but that was funny. It was well. It wasn't for me. No. But my point was was I, I questioned the competency of the referee. I turned around and said, "This is a very poor decision. It's not on. It's unfair." I didn't say I'm going to escalate. I want escalation, escalation and resolution because I knew that there was no methodology to be able to achieve either. So, Stuart, the bottom line is: is football prepared to accept human error? Because this is what this is. This isn't a technology problem. This is a communication problem. I'm not sure that the fans are prepared to accept it because every time there is error, let's say, and I think all VAR has highlighted, there's grey areas in football. I sat in a stadium at Villa Park and there was two or three decisions that, that I scratched my head with and I think, hang on, I've played the game for 40 years and I don't agree with certain decisions. So do we have to re-educate ourselves in many ways and say, look, there are grey areas, accept it, you're not always right, the only person who is right is the referee and hopefully Respect VAR. the ultimate authority, pricing the idea there's going to be mistakes made. Someone, somebody told someone somewhere that this was going to be a foolproof system that no one was going to make errors with. And now you're judging them by that standard and it's bloody stupid. And people in the media need to do better and ultimately fans need to manage it because whatever you haven't got is the reasons why you're not successful. No, we need transparency. To do what with? Then we need to have broadcast inside the game so we can hear the decision-making process. To do what with? So that you can boo and hiss and create pressure on. So the... is Liverpool's statement meddling in this? I think it's, I think they're just being mixers. I don't think there's going to be. What, what are they going to achieve? Do they want VAR stood down? Is it what Liverpool's? You know, when Liverpool next the beneficiary of VAR, will they be writing a letter to them saying, actually, we need we need escalation and resolution because our team got the benefit of a bad VAR decision? It's a silly. Well, Ange Postecoglou spoke post match and said, look, everybody's got to realise this thing isn't foolproof. I think I'm on record saying that I've never really been a fan of it um, since it's come in. Um, the biggest problem I think I, that we have or we seem to fail to grasp is that no form of technology is going to make the game errorless. We used to, you know, we used to understand that errors were part of the game, including officiating errors, and you'd, and you'd, you know, you'd have to cop it. Some cop, you know, some people copped it better than others, but that was part of the game, you know. The, the game is littered with historical, you know, refereeing decisions that weren't right, but, you know, we all accepted it. That's part of the game because we're dealing with human beings. But I think they're going to make mistakes the same way managers make mistakes, the same way players make mistakes. When you put such a high bar on something, invariably it's going to fail. So if people are thinking that VAR is going to be something at some point that is perfect, that's never going to happen. Why have we ended up in a situation where technology... We saw I've situations that, like, that like Frank Lampard scoring the goal against Germany in the 2010 Cup, World Cup needed goal line d detection systems. Yeah, or 1966 right. when right. it shouldn't have stood. But why, why, why are we here now? Because there has been this tacit, implicit, I should say, not tacit, uh, refusal to accept on-field decisions. We've had 360-degree... Seven day a week, twenty four hour analysis of every single refereeing decision. So it almost became impossible for referees to do their jobs without technology. Now we've moved on to technology, and we're still using interaction. We can all we can campaign for AI if we want. We can get rid of a lot of them and have artificial intelligence be able to do it. And we'll still find someone that complained about it. The problem is, is why have we ended up here? And what do we expect to happen? Did we genuinely expect human error to be eliminated? If we did, grow up. 
The only grown-up in the room in this conversation so far has been Ange Postacoglu. More of that sort of thinking and a little bit less of the hyperbole would be better for football, There's I think. John, the Villa fan. You'd think someone as intelligent as Simon could come up with something better than people make mistakes and comparing a player diving to referees influencing results in league standings. It's quite bizarre. The referees influence results by making mistakes. Players influence outcomes by making mistakes. Re- managers influence outcomes by making mistakes. The fact of the matter is, I'm sure Matey Boy there makes a mistake every day of his life. <laughs> Your 100% essential download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. One of the results of the weekend, undoubtedly, of course, Wolves stunning Manchester City, winning by two goals to one. Gary O'Neill, wonder what he thought of that. That's why we called him earlier on this morning. I put it to him. I, I, I mean, Gary, no doubt delighted, as you're about to hear. But um, the first team, Wolves, to take points off City in this campaign. So, Gary, it was a simple opener to you. How the heck did you do it? Obviously, one of the, well, probably the best team around at the moment. Perfect start to the league so far uh, six from six but we've yeah we've worked hard we've worked the lads have worked extremely hard since I've arrived been trying to put some things in place with them and they're fully committed given absolutely everything and they put they put in one hell of a performance at the at the weekend as as you you know you need to against a, a team of, of that quality you need everything to sort of go your way we managed to be clinical when we got our chances managed to defend the goal really well but yeah just a a big effort from everybody at the club really to make sure we were ready for what is the yeah the ultimate test at the moment Gary I'm curious to know for you as a manager preparing for a team like City what on earth does that involve? Yeah it's, it's obviously a big task I think um, City are, are obviously very well structured they use different structures against other team systems and we sort of managed to guess which one they'd, they'd want to use against us so I managed to give the lads some real accurate pictures of, of what it may look like and obviously that's that's one part of it, but then the lads have to go out there and deliver, and that's obviously the main part. Uh, and they did. State concentration was incredible. Some of the jobs they the boys had to do without the ball for so long. Concentration was excellent. Work rate was excellent. And then, as we saw, still managed to carry that quality on the on the break, and still had a threat about us. Um, and managed to maximise it because you don't get many. You know, you don't get many of those chances against Manchester City to break away and to cause them problems. So when we did, it was important that we we maximised them. And obviously, with the way Pedro's playing at the minute, Mateus Cunha and Chani in the goals, we knew we we had an opportunity if we could just remain in our shape, keep our attacking players in good areas that we could we could get out from. And yeah, it, it, it worked well. But down to the players, Jim, more so than the uh, more so than myself or the game plan. Because it's Manchester City and Pep and everything that goes with that, though, Gary, is there a fine line between being respectful towards them and being in awe of them? I've played against Pep's uh, Manchester City twice now and, and last season used, a, used a, sim- a similar shape against them but was probably too aggressive from within that shape and then sort of outside centre-backs ended up coming out slightly too early, left big spaces for sort of Haaland and their attacking players to work in. So... Um, there was none of that this time. We were a little bit lower, a little bit more compact. Tried to make sure that every time Haaland was sort of up against Dorse, it was in an area that suited Dorse's strengths. Um, and he was excellent again, by the way, Dorse. So, yeah, it's just one of those where you try and put the game in a place that you can cope from, which we did, and then try and remain as aggressive as possible from that. But, yeah, I mean, it was obviously a, a big win for us. We're Keen switch focus straight away, straight after the game onto another big test, which is Aston Villa next next weekend. We saw how how good they can be against Brighton. So um, fantastic win gets us three points. 
the lads deserve their victory against Manchester City because they've given everything since the, since the day I walked through the door. Gary, I mean, everybody knows about the financial restrictions that you're operating under. Maybe that's had a great deal to do with why Lopetegui left. What are the goals and the targets? Is it survival or is it more than that? I don't want to speak for, for everybody, but I see the Premier League as, you know, there's a lot of teams that want to tick off survival first. And I don't think that is ever going to be our only goal. But you, of course, want to tick off survival first. From, from my point of view, it's more about the processes anyway and what we are as a team and whether we're performing well enough to give ourselves enough chances to win because there's, there's still no guarantees of winning at the weekend, even if you get everything right. You know, there's a, always a, an excellent opposition with an excellent head coach and excellent players up against you. So can we get the processes right? Can we make it look how we want it to look? And then can we get enough results to make sure, firstly, let's make sure we're in the Premier League again next season and then, you know, how well you can do and how early you manage to do that, you can then start to push towards other things. But, um, yeah, it's, it's obviously a bit of a change for the club. You know, in recent years, there's a lot of money spent on big players and obviously there's been a, a slight change from that recently. And we're working to the new yeah, the new plan that the club have and trying to maximise it, which is very similar to, to what we had to do last year. And obviously just at a, at a fantastic club. As I say, the place was absolutely rocking. Supporters have been absolutely fantastic. Obviously, they've had a tough summer, as you know, with some of the sort of news and stuff that's been around around the club. And obviously, then we lose Mateus Nunes late in the window. So, But they've been fantastic, as as of the players. So let's let's keep trying to move it forward. Still very early. Still only two wins. But it feels like a, a big two wins. You know, one away from home at Goodison. Uh, one at home against the best team in world football at the moment. So, um, yeah, looking to, looking to push things on again. It's good, Gary. I like the sounds of it. Villa next for you, then Bournemouth. I suppose with Bournemouth, you don't need any extra motivation to try and win that one. <laughs> no, it, yeah, I mean, it won't mean any, it won't be any different to any other ones, Jim. Of, same as when I was playing, you know, you'd go back to your old clubs and you'd just say hello to a few people that you know, but been around long enough to know that there's just another three points at stake. And I haven't even looked ahead to it at all at this moment. But Aston Villa is just a, a fantastic test. Unai Emery has them in a, a great place. Fantastic attacking players. So we'll have our hands for again this weekend first. And then a lot of the boys will be off flying around the world to do their international stuff. So um, the Bournemouth game is a way off at the moment. And Gary, as we speak, Liverpool in the news with another VAR controversy today. Uh, you, you've been at the centre of a few similar controversies. Is this a tipping point for VAR? Seems like we're getting to that point, Jim. Um, yeah, I feel like there, there's probably going to be some serious discussions coming up, I would guess, from the powers that be. I think there, there just seems to be a lack of clarity around uh, many things, rules-wise now, handballs, offsides, yeah, VAR in, in general. So I would guess there are discussions going on. It's obvious that things need improving. I think the, the sort of errors and things that have happened in the last seven weeks probably seem like there's much more than there were going on last season even. So something's obviously not quite right. And similar to some of the interviews that I heard over the weekend, really I'm not one to just stand here and criticise people because I know that they, they want to do well. You know, the referees want to do well. VAR wants to do well. So we just need to, yeah, they, 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 we just need them to get it in a place where everyone understands it and there's a little bit more clarity. I've never been convinced on the lines at this moment. I still watch lines being drawn and, for me, they, they don't meet the ground at the right place and I don't think it's as accurate as we've maybe believed. So I think that, yeah, there's probably needs to be a shift and I'm sure if there does, then the, the people that are in charge will, will get it done for us.
Gary O'Neill speaking just a short time ago. We're still trying to hose down the switchboard after the, the topic of VAR. So we'll move it along from there. But Stuart, when you get a result like that in football, and I, I don't know about, about you, but I would not have expected Wolves to get a result like that at the weekend. What does that do for them? From this point onwards, you guys beat City. Listen, it, it's a brilliant, brilliant result for him and his football club. No one saw it coming. City are blowing everyone away. But what you've got to turn around and think to yourself, that that is the beauty of the Premier League. That's the beauty of football. We talked about Luton, no chance. I mean, you, you tip them, no chance at Everton. They get the result. Mm. Wolverhampton, great result. Yeah. And at this moment in time, a player I work with that played in that game, Craig Dawson, I'll tell you, what, one of the best professionals you'll ever work with, cleared two off the line, you know, and he needs a, a little... Recommendation, I think, at this stage, magnificent. Yeah, he, did, he did so well, and since Gary left Bournemouth, in comes the man that Bill Foley, the American owner, wanted. This fellow, Irola, Iriola. Three draws, three defeats for Bournemouth um, at the weekend. A four-nil submission to Arsenal. Sam, I get you're taking it in a second, but but Foley was convinced. As hard as it was saying goodbye to Neil, uh, Iriola was the right man. It was not an easy decision. We just felt that we were going to be as successful as we believe we can be in this transfer market and we're going to change the style of football we played, we needed to go a different direction. Our plan is to go with this coach and to give him uh, every opportunity to be successful. And if it means at the end of the year, next year, we're relegated because we made a mistake, then I'll live with it. That's reality. But I believe we're going to be successful with this with uh, with Andoni. I, I really do. You heard fully there, Simon, saying if in the end we're relegated, then I'll have to live with that. I mean... Do you think he's happy to, to to live with it if that indeed is the outcome? I don't think he'll be thrilled, but I think ultimately what he's saying is I'll take the consequences because it'll be in my checkbook that has to balance the books. So I think he's a big boy. I think he's a, a you know a person that operates at a high level and, and expects other people to do so. I think Gary O'Neill should be grateful to Bournemouth. And he was given an opportunity. At no time was Gary O'Neill really on my horizon as a manager. And he's now the Wolves manager because of the opportunity he was given at Bournemouth. And this is the way that football operates. Rather than look at the negative and go, oh, I bet he wants to get one over on Bournemouth because of the way they treated him, what he got given... He probably does. Well, he may well do. That's human nature too. But the bottom line is, is he got given an opportunity that came out of left field because Scott Parker couldn't keep his trap shut. And he did a decent job. And as a result of it, he's now a manager. And there was never a situation where I ever thought... We sat across Gary Neal, lovely fella. I always thought he was a, a, a very decent coach. He's now in people's eyes, clearly a manager. So that means that potentially he's grateful to Bournemouth. People think he was hard done by. The new guy comes in, they'll be judged by those standards. Mm. But Foley should maybe be grateful to Gary because Foley ended up buying a Premier League club. Well, no, he was already buying a Premier League club. Gary O'Neill was part and parcel of the equation. He didn't... Yeah, but he could have been sat in the championship without Gary. And 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 he'd have taken the, the slings and arrows of that particular decision-making process and maybe the price would have been less. I don't know, but he bought a, he bought a club and with Gary O'Neill, that wasn't his appointment... And he, and he let Gary O'Neill manage, and Gary O'Neill did a really good job and proved himself to be potentially a capable manager. And as a result of it, he gets the Wolves job. And, of course, this result in isolation against Man City, Swallows and Summers, mm. we will still see that whether Gary is going yeah, to be able to... has got to work for Foley, hasn't he? Well, he's, got, he's got to work for them. He's well, this man. He has, of course he has, in any, in any appointment that you make, especially when you make that sort of statement. And I like it because it's unequivocal. You can't debate it with the fella. If we get relegated, I'll live with it. I'm not sure the Bournemouth fans will, but you know what I think of Bournemouth fans. They, 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 go, they go mild in Bournemouth, don't they? The bottom line is, <laughs> is that you've got a situation where guys made a decision. Often owners 
bring in someone that's their own guy. This clearly, for whatever reason, Gary wasn't. Do you think they'll go all the way to a relegation, uh, sticking with this manager, or, or those words? Or be hollow words if push comes to shove. Well, that's, a, that's a great I question. Think it's, I think it's a, an interesting... Because you know what these owners are like. It's sure. an in, in, interesting Sorry, evaluation. Oh, because well if you, you what you're that. suggesting is that a multifaceted man that's capable of understanding things would double down on the principle of getting it wrong but staying with it to get wrong because it would mean losing face. Yeah, we're kind of suggesting that. I don't think so. Oh. I don't think so. There's no evidence in this man's career that he's not capable of pivoting and changing directions and looking at things. If he's got it wrong and this guy isn't what he thought he was going to be, he won't muck about because mm. he won't worry about the consequences of, of egg on his face. He'll look at it and go, I got it wrong. Welcome to the Coliseum of Confrontation. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast from. We'll be back tomorrow to bring you the best of the show. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.